Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We need, and we haven't done this yet, to centralize our public health system. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. We have done exactly what needed to be done, which is provide and give an effective vaccine. The key for gun safety reform advocates is to think about this in the long term. These times when change happen, often brief, so you want to get as much accomplished as possible. This is KCBS In-Depth. So here we are on the other side of recall election day, a day that followed more than a year of campaigning, wild polling swings, all manner of punditry, and hundreds of millions of dollars spent. But after all that, California is walking away with the same governor it walked in with. Welcome to KCBS In Depth. I'm Keith Manconi, and today on the program, with so many in the state right now asking the question, what exactly did that whole recall election really add up to? We're going to take on the case for recall reform. And at this point, it's actually more than an academic discussion. This past week, lawmakers have laid out a number of reform proposals aimed at addressing some of the biggest criticisms that have been leveled against this most recent cycle. Uh, So up ahead, we'll discuss those proposals and also hear why recall efforts seem to be growing more common in California politics. First up, though, uh, to lay some groundwork for that talk, we're going to welcome on now Rafe Sunnenshine. He is the executive director of the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State Los Angeles. Rafe Sunnenshine, welcome to the program. Good to be with you. So you are among those who have expressed concerns about uh, how California's recall system currently operates. Uh, Could you start out our conversation by explaining how the recall was first introduced to the state uh, and why it operates a little bit differently here than recall systems uh, elsewhere in the country? The California recall was a late addition in California to direct democracy, which was really about something called the initiative and the referendum that the progressive movement created in California as an amendment to the system of accountability in the Constitution. It's one of the really valuable things about direct democracy. What if the separation of powers and checks and balances in the Constitution did not lead to our leaders holding each other accountable? And in California, that was the case because private interests like the Southern Pacific Railroad were dominating the system. So let the voters come in and from time to time take a wrecking ball to the legislative process or 
to the election process itself by removing people from office. So there was a specific set of circumstances that uh, uh, the California progressive movement was facing in the early part of the 20th century that uh, the recall uh, election was hoped to address, uh, but things have changed an awful lot since then. uh, And it seems you're suggesting that perhaps the current set of political affairs in California is not quite aligned with its uh, recall structure as is? I think that's I think that is correct. I think the problem was in the early days, the idea was to get the misbehaving officer out as quickly as possible. And for that was one reason for having a replacement election right away. And the inability of the, quote, offending officer to even defend themselves by running in a replacement election made sense. The idea, you didn't want this to drag on. You didn't want them hanging around. What they never took into account was that the recall could become a tool of partisan combat, uh, a a way of getting around the majority vote in elections, especially for a party that doesn't do very well in elections. And uh, that, I think, is is emerged right now as a pretty serious, perhaps fatal problem for the current design of the recall in California. All right. Speaking right there with uh, Rafe Sunshine, once again, the executive director of the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State Los Angeles. Uh, so obviously on the program today, we're going to talk a lot about the shortcomings of California's uh, recall system. But uh, to bring in uh, just a little bit of a different perspective right now, uh, I want to welcome on our next guest, who uh, actually you could say has written the book on recall elections in the United States. That would be Joshua Spivak. He is a senior fellow at the Hugh L. Carey Institute for Government Reform at Wagner College. He is also the author of the new book, Recall Elections from Alexander Hamilton to Gavin Newsom. Joshua Spivak, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. So uh, as we were just hearing, uh, California has a number of challenges with its recall election system. But uh, you've actually written quite a bit on why we should perhaps be skeptical of any reforms that would make it too difficult for voters to uh, exercise this power, this uh, this check on the power of elected leaders. So lay out that case for us, if you could. Uh, Why should we be worried about throwing the baby out with the bathwater here? Well, first of all, I think the recall has been adopted by voters, and that's actually worth a lot. You know, this was a a law that was put in place by 76% of the California voters. And in fact, if you looked at recalls throughout the country, you see this uh, occur repeatedly. Voters, an overwhelming majority, approve it. To have political figures do it and remove it and eliminate the power seems a little uh, questionable. Uh, Obviously, the voters would approve their decision, but the way it's structured is potentially dangerous. Mm. And and it's also the case that voter approval for the recall election, uh, even in very recent polling, seems to be quite high. Yes, it's always popular. And in fact, California uses the recall a lot. Uh, Not so much, but there's been 110 recalls that have gone to the ballot in the last 10 years, plus another... 23, I think, that went to a resignation. So it's something that California voters like. And what do you think that it adds to the election process or the political process in California? You know, we were hearing a little bit earlier that the original idea was to put some accountability on politicians that were perhaps uh, in the sway of uh, corrupt business interests. Is it playing the same role now? Is it doing something else? What What does it allow voters to do that they wouldn't be able if they didn't have this power? Well, it's mainly a local 
uh, weapon. You know, it's mainly used on the local level. And it is, you know, to some degree, it's corruption, but that's not really the focus. It's it's to try to keep the uh, elected officials in line and following along the position of the voters. Uh, the best way to think of it is a two-model approach. One is a trustee, where you elect somebody because of their greater knowledge, their greater wisdom, versus the representative model, where you're electing somebody because they have uh, views along the lines of your own and they're a better advocate. And so the recall is very much a, a thumb on the scale of that second model. And really, in many ways, that is exactly where we've been going in American political life, basically since the beginning. All right. We're going to dig a little bit more into these ideas in just a second. Real quick, want to reintroduce you both. For anybody just joining us, this is KCBS In-Depth, your weekly deep dive into the events and trends shaping life in the Bay Area and beyond. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, well, California Democrats may have come out on top in this past week's gubernatorial recall election, but many are still upset that it happened at all. We're considering their proposals to reform the process. Uh, joining us, we have been hearing from Rafe Sunnenshine. He is the executive director of the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State Los Angeles. Also just heard a moment ago from Joshua Spivak. He is a senior fellow at the Hugh L. Carey Institute for Government Reform at Wagner College. So uh, Rafe Sunnenshine, want to go back to you now. There are some specific criticisms that I think were thrown into stark relief in this most recent recall election, uh, specifically the fact that that Governor Newsom was a fairly popular governor uh, facing this and uh, remained so throughout pretty much the entire recall cycle. And yet uh, he still faced this recall. Uh, so curious for your thoughts on how this specific uh, recall election plays into this broader debate over California's recall election system. It's a testimony to how badly designed the recall system is in California that a recall election against a popular governor got as far as it did. And I think there are problems with the system that other states don't have to prevent that from happening. In a way, the normal reasserted itself, which is the popular governor survived, but he could only do that by reshaping the rules of the recall to his advantage, by dicing up the replacement election and keeping a Democrat off the ballot and by making the election about his, the, his opponents in the other party, which is the smartest strategy. If he hadn't done either of those things, I think even a popular governor might very well have been driven out of office by literally his ideological opposite, which is way more damaging than the famous 2003 recall, where a moderate Democrat was removed for a moderate Republican who was so moderate that he was practically a moderate Democrat. It wasn't as if the, the orientation of the whole state. And also, the replacement candidate got more votes than Gray Davis got to stay in office. We came very close to a catastrophic breakdown of our democratic accountability through a system I favor, like, like Joshua. I think the recall is here to stay. I think it serves a good function. But boy, does it have to be better designed. Mm. Uh, Joshua Spivak, your thoughts on uh, those concerns. Are they uh, damning of California's system? No, uh, California's system is actually somewhat common. Um, there are four different types, actually five if you include Virginia, which has a recall trial, a very odd thing. So California and Colorado both have the same yes, no vote and on the same day a replacement vote. Seven other states have the yes, no vote and a replacement vote on a later date. And in five of those nine states, 
the candidate cannot run to replace themselves. Uh, there's a, a second, uh, a third type of uh, system, which is a yes, no vote, and the replacement is chosen by law, which in California's case would be the lieutenant governor. This, a lot of people like this idea. I think it's actually a very bad idea. Um, and then the fourth model, which I have to say is a particularly good idea, and it's one that Gray Davis likes, uh, is a new election. And that we saw in Wisconsin, that one sort of fits into what people think of an election. So, you know, while the one that everybody seems to like is the replacement by law, it actually has its own challenges that may be worse than any other system. Just to put a fine uh, point on it, uh, Joshua Spivak, uh, do you agree that California's recall election system does need some reform, some tinkering with? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, in some ways, <laughs> California actually has a very good model of uh, a recall law. If you look at other states where elected officials are able to stop the recall, where it's more of a weapon for them than voters, you, you really want to avoid that. And California does. Uh, for governor, it's a little more challenging, but on the lower le on the lower levels, you see it, and you see it working very poorly in other states. You do not see that in California. All right, so uh, we are finding uh, some dividing lines in the uh, opinions here. Uh, we're going to dig into that uh, a little bit more right now. I uh, want to talk about some of the reform proposals that have come forward. Uh, in particular, earlier this week, we heard from state lawmakers, including Assemblyman Mark Berman, as well as uh, State Senator Steve Glazer, uh, heard about their reform proposals that they uh, intend to launch in uh, for the state's recall system uh, uh, with the intention to uh, enact some of those reforms in the coming years. A uh, number of things that they've put on the table, uh, others have put on the table, and it sounds like just generally starting to stir up a broader conversation uh, for specific proposals. Um, Rafe, Sun and Shine, uh, once again with uh, Cal State Los Angeles, let's just uh, leave the, the sky wide open for you. What are the first reforms that you think California lawmakers should be considering? I would like to flip that a little bit and say that the great thing about reforms is you only have a quick moment to do it. You should make sure you're, you've identified the problem that you're trying to solve rather than pick among a set of solutions. And that what people tend to do is they pick solutions and then they look for a problem to solve. The real problem of a recall is how to get the voters' voice done in an informed way so that they get the people they want out of office and the people they want into office in a recall. Mm -hmm. And that should drive everything else. And I'll give you an example. If you move toward one solution, which is to have a runoff for the replacement election, you will actually exacerbate the problems of the current recall because you will add credibility to someone who is running in a very restricted election that all the major candidates had an incentive not to run it, candidates from both parties. So I think you have to be careful not to just solve the symptom that's in front of you, but to say, what do the voters want to have happen? And one of them um, is certainly to have the lieutenant governor take over uh, in case the governor is removed. By the way, this recall would have never happened. There would not have been a single signature gathered if the automatic solution is to replace Gavin Newsom with a Democratic lieutenant governor, there would have been no incentive. Uh, other people have said, make it a little harder to get on the ballot. I'm not sure that'll work that much because you can get anything on the ballot in California with enough money. Right. 
Well, and that's that's one of the broader arguments that uh, some folks are making is that the threshold set in California was set uh, more than 100 years ago and that now that we have social media and many other ways of getting the word out and organizing that it's simply set too low for the modern reality and it's it's just much easier to get across that uh, threshold. What do you what do you make of that, Rafe Sunshine? Well, I guess my concern is that whatever threshold you set, if there's enough money, you'll get over it. Uh, the question is, do you want to have the recall to be such an attractive option to shift party control in the state? And as long as it is an attractive option to do that in terms of the option of getting a different governor of a different party, and then there will be money around for it. Uh, so I think that's actually the bigger problem than the number of signatures. Don't forget, the percentage stays the same, but the number of signatures is vastly more than it was when that number was still set. Mm. Uh, Joshua Spivak, uh, once again, uh, a fellow with the Hugh L. Carey Institute for Government Reform at Wagner College. Uh, Joshua Spivak, you, you were mentioning a second ago, I believe uh, you don't look, uh, you look a bit askance at the reform proposal of allowing the lieutenant governor to take the place of uh, whichever governor was uh, recalled. Uh, why is that? Why do you have concerns about that proposal? So there's a few different reasons. One is it's actually an attempt to be like an impeachment. And, and it gives this gloss of legalistic and uh, a fairness, but in fact, much like impeachment, as we've really seen, it is a political action. So the lieutenant governor would gain a lot of credibility for no reason, but that's not the real reason that I don't like it. Uh, first of all, they could recall the lieutenant governor as well. They could recall everybody at one point. And you may see, think like, oh, that's crazy. But no, in North Dakota in 1921, they were called three officials, the governor, the attorney general, and the, sec the agriculture secretary all at once. And in fact, in a lot of recalls, it is everybody at once. It's an entire school board, an entire city council. So that's very much a likely possibility if you're giving this option. Um, the other problem, of course, is that the lieutenant governor is a could be of the other party in California. That's one of the benefits of California's law. I think the lieutenant governor running alone makes a better lieutenant governor. But in, for 20 years, we had that where the lieutenant governor and governor were of opposition parties that would provide an uh, a option for it. But we've also seen it in other states. It hasn't stopped it. So Oregon just had a serious recall attempt against its governor. And what would have happened, they don't have a lieutenant governor, they have a secretary of state who steps up. But the secretary of state died. So there, was a, there would have been a constitutional crisis because it's not clear that the replacement could have stepped up. So it would have been a constitutional crisis due to this law, this like a little odd law. I would rather have it where the people are able to just elect their own official. And I think the people want that. They don't really want somebody stepping up. So that's, you know, it's pretty straightforward that that, that way is a way that people really do prefer. We voted and we get a new person in there. All right. Well, a lot of tricky issues to be worked out, but uh, hopefully some uh, some good thoughts for our listeners to mull over. Uh, I want to reintroduce everybody once again real quick. Uh, once again, you are listening to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Menconi. Today on the program, many Californians woke up with a recall hangover after Election Day this past week. We're discussing the many calls to reform the state's recall system. Joining us for that conversation, we're speaking right now to Rafe Sunenshine. He is the executive director of the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State 
Upstate Los Angeles. Also just heard uh, from a moment ago, Joshua Spivak. He is a senior fellow at the Hugh L. Carey Institute for Government Reform at Wagner College. Also the author of the new book, Recall Elections, from Alexander Hamilton to Gavin Newsom. All right, so getting into uh, the final topics for today, I want to talk about why it is that uh, California seems to be having more recall efforts. Uh, on, on Tuesday, we should flag, there was actually another recall election taking place, uh, actually more than one, but we'll just highlight the one that's uh, close to home for our Bay Area listeners. That would be in uh, Sonoma County. Uh, Sonoma County District Attorney Jill Ravitch uh, was on the ballot. Uh, she won that recall election handily, but uh, there are many, many, many more recall efforts in the works up and down the state, uh, you know, taking on school board members, city council members, uh, more district attorneys as well, uh, mayors as well. Uh, so Joshua Spivak, what are we to make of this? Uh, uh, are, are we really seeing a surge in recall campaigns right now? No, actually, I, I don't think we are. Um, this year, actually, we did see a surge of attempts against school board members, and that was based on COVID. So COVID really, and it's the only time I've ever seen this where one issue has taken hold, but they haven't gotten to the ballot. So this year, and, we've and had, we should mention that you've been running a blog on uh, recall elections for years. So you've been watching this closely for some time. Yes, exactly. So California this year has had six recall attempts get to the ballot. Idaho has had eight. So that just could give us a, a little bit of a, a comparison, especially considering Idaho's size. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that we're really seeing so many. Um, it just feels like it, especially when there's a governor, when there's the school board in San Francisco, when there's the DA in San Francisco. And a DA recall is extremely unusual. The last one was in 2001 in Marin. Uh, so this, this is a moment for high-profile recall. So one of the reasons this could be happening is that the Republicans are frustrated and they're not succeeding. Therefore, we're seeing them on the state level. So we have the two governors. We also have had six state legislators face a recall since 1994, when we hadn't had a state legislative recall from 1914 to 1994. So there's a feeling of it, but I'm not sure it's really taking hold. Hmm. Uh, Rafe Sonnenshine, uh, does that more or less uh, mesh with your picture of how the recall election is being used right now in California? You, mostly we've heard your thoughts so far on the gubernatorial recall, but going to those lower offices, whether at the, the state uh, uh, lawmaker level or at the local elected official level, uh, does, does that more or less match with your understanding of what's happening right now? I think we're actually in the middle of an escalation of local recall mm. that hasn't really hit yet. And one thing, though, mm -hmm. that confuses observers is when people take out a petition for a recall, there's not a recall, uh, but they count as a recall when five voters take out and start circulating petitions. And they say there's a recall against the city council member. There's way fewer successful ones. However, there was a famous book called Weapons of the Week that talked about how groups that feel that they have no chance of winning find weapons lying around that they can use. The recall is increasingly a tool of conservatives in California against so-called progressive district attorneys, school boards with mask requirements, city council members doing things they don't like. And I think it's in the toolkit of going to meetings and speaking very loudly at public meetings and, and in some cases uh, very harshly. So I think the recall is going to be out there for a while. And these are all nonpartisan races, by the way, because local elections are nonpartisan in California. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to escalate. Now, it may not lead to recall elections, but it's going to lead to a lot of recall petitions going around for sure. And what are we to make of that? I uh, think the I'm, worrisome I'm... thing 
and I'm just looking down the road. I'm concerned about volunteer local elected officials finding that getting yelled at in public meetings, facing recall elections, this is really face-to-face politics. And if it escalates in terms of nastiness, a lot of people are going to say it's not worth it for me. Whereas a state legislator might say, this is my career, this is my profession, I'm going to stay in this. And I think it's important to make sure that people don't feel that they're getting pushed out of public office uh, because we need people to serve in those positions. Joshua Spivak, wondering if you could also take on the issue that we just heard a moment ago with regards to the partisan dimensions of these recall efforts, this notion that uh, this, you know, here in this uh, state of California where uh, Republicans are the minority in in, uh, most counties, that they may be uh, using recalls as a way to flex some political muscle. What do you make of that? Uh, Is is that a viable choice for Republicans? And uh, how is that reshaping politics, if so? I think it's actually a terrible choice for anyone trying it. it. It is what's happened. I would agree with that. And we saw it in Wisconsin, but it does not work. And I think California is a perfect example of this. So the recalls really started in 1994 with against Senator Dave Roberta. Uh, and there's been six state legislative ones. Five of them were targeting Democrats or Democratic supporters in this 1995 recalls and two governors, both Democrats. And what has happened in, since 1994 in California? In 1994, the Republicans were a serious party. They were coming off the fourth straight gubernatorial win. They had control of the assembly. Uh, they had a 50-50 split in the House. They were six years away from controlling, from winning the White House due to California partially. And in the, the next 25 years, what's happened? They've been completely decimated. This is the longest stretch of time that the Democrats have controlled the California governor's mansion ever. They have super majorities in both houses. Nobody thinks the Republicans have a chance of winning the U.S. Senate seat. Uh, They they didn't even get to the, the top two round in the last two Senate seat elections. And Joe Biden won by 29%. You know, if this is your weapon feel free to use it. That's what the Democrats should be saying. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, just a couple of minutes left, but I have one more question uh, for each of you. Uh, just uh, uh, starting with you, Rafe Sunshine. So we've heard uh, a lot about the reform proposals that are out there. What do you think are the chances that they will actually make headway in the next couple of years? Is this something we should expect to happen? I actually think there is a chance for these reform, some of the reform proposals to get enacted. I hope they think it through very carefully. I hope they're solving a problem that they've identified and connect the solutions. I think there's an appetite for it. I will tell you the appetite for reform, though, it's a short window. Uh, People lose interest in it. It's now very important. No one's going to be talking about the recall in about three weeks. And they're going to have to keep it alive at least until it goes on the ballot in 2022, which is, remember, quite some time from now. I think there's a chance. And I also think there's a chance if the proposals don't disproportionately protect Democrats. I mean, with the majority, it's always going to protect the majority. But I think if there's some sense of trying to make them a little bit neutral in terms of outcomes, that'll help. I think there's a chance. That's all I can say. There's an opening for it. Yeah. And a final question to you, Joshua Spivak. You were mentioning a second ago that sometimes these recall campaigns have surprising outcomes, not exactly what probably a lot of people were expecting in the wake of the 2003 recall election. What do you think will be the outcome of the election that just happened Tuesday? What should we expect to be the legacy? I think the legacy is 
Gavin Newsom is going to win 2022 in a walk, and it may actually cost the Republicans some of those House seats in uh, that they won in 2020. So it may really blow up in their face. They they had because some of, uh, partisan backlash. Uh, not just partisan backlash, because they may not have a good candidate at the top of the ticket, and that may mm. uh, that may damage them below. And it sort of just sets them back further. They were maybe they saw some green shoots from 2020, despite. Donald Trump losing 29%. Uh, and now all of a sudden, they look like people who are just looking for shortcuts. And that's not going to help them. All right. Well, a lot to look forward to and a lot to think about. A very interesting conversation we just had there. Uh, going to thank you both for joining us. So once again, we have been speaking to Rafe Sonnenshine. He is the executive director of the Pat Brown Institute for Public Affairs at Cal State Los Angeles. Rafe Sonnenshine, thank you so much. My pleasure. Also, here and there from Joshua Spivak. He is a senior fellow at the Hugh L. Carey Institute for Government Reform at Wagner College. Also the author of the very timely book out very recently, Recall Elections from Alexander Hamilton to Gavin Newsom. Great timing there. Uh, Thanks for being on, Joshua Spivak. Thanks very much for having me. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.